Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. Before we get started, John, I think we should mention that our podcast, Saga Thing, is now on iTunes. So please consider uh, subscribing and leaving a comment for us so that we get uh, into the rankings. Yes, please do. Uh, We've actually been really excited about the early response to this podcast. We sort of thought we were just doing this for ourselves uh, and maybe occasionally for some of our students to come by. And it's been really uh, interesting and exciting to have an actual audience for this. Yeah, it's nice to know that there's more people than just my wife listening. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm happy there's someone besides your wife listening, too. I don't think my yeah. wife is listening. That said, she thinks we're very good at this. Well, there you go. <laughs> That's uh, nice. Now, John, there's one more bit of uh, business we need to cover, and that regards the controversy over the uh, thing man choice of I don't remember there being podcast. any controversy. There was controversy in that you hosed me and took Snorri <laughs> Gothi. Um, so I put up a poll to see if, uh, if you were right or I was right, and it turns out we're both kind of wrong. The... Uh, Though there are That's not very the way few, I read the poll. Right now, there's a tie between Snorri the Gothi and Kjartan the Seal Pounder, which is really surprising to me. Well, which makes it sound like, in fact, I chose just fine, and you perhaps made a tactical error. Could be. It could be. Maybe people just aren't that impressed with Arnkel. Look, I, I, I wanted to choose Kjartan. It just didn't seem to make sense at the time. Well, that's all right. I'm uh, happy with my choice. And the website that they can go to to vote is? Uh, I believe that is uh, sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com. There you go. Is that true? <laughs> That's not a good sign. Um, <clears throat> well, time to get started. We've got something special set up for today, don't we? Yes, we do. We are setting a course for the new world. In this episode of Saga Thing, we follow the adventures of Eric the Red as he settles the shores of Greenland. Get to know his famous son, Leif the Lucky, who accidentally discovers the new world after abandoning his pregnant lover. You'll cry when Sigrid, the farmer's wife, learns of her impending death, and then laugh as her undead corpse tries to climb into bed with Thorstein Erikson. Along the way, you'll meet Thorbjörg the prophetess, a witch celebrity whose taste for the finer things in life knows no match. Will she have what it takes to end the famine in Greenland? But there's more. The new world calls, promising rich lands and much-needed resources. Join Thorfinn Karlsefni and his brutish companion Thorhall the Huntsman as they seek fame and glory in the wilds of North America. Will the natives welcome the Viking settlers with open arms, or will things turn violent? Find out this week in... Eric the Red Saga! We need like a little sounder like a, a ship going... <laughs> Well, surely our budget can stretch that far. Yeah, maybe we'll we'll add something here. Here, I'm going to add something. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be great fun. Uh, The Icelandic voyages to North America, or Vinland as they called it, are part of the legend of the sagas. And, of course, this is our first trip, but it won't be our last. There are actually two distinct but related sagas that tell this story. Uh, We're reading Eric's saga today, but we will eventually return to another Vinland saga called the Greenlander Saga at some point down the road. Both of them are on the short side. Uh, Eric's saga weighs in at only uh, 7,910 words in the Icelandic, which of course means it's a mere 0.867 Hravenkel sagas. That is the most ridiculous way to measure sagas, but (laughs) I guess it does demonstrate that this is the shortest saga that we've covered yet. Yeah, and yet it's uh, it's also our most well-traveled saga by far. We'll be visiting Norway, Iceland, Greenland, North America, the Hebrides, uh, and a few other places that we can't necessarily identify. Right. Uh, but first things first. We've been referring to North America and Vinland as if they were interchangeable. 
Uh, how sure are we that that's a safe thing to do? Well, it's pretty clear. Uh, in addition to the sagas and various other documents which corroborate them, there there have been a number of important finds by archaeological teams. There's camps, trading posts, weapons, and so on that are found. Uh, the most famous site is Lons Meadows, which was uncovered by the husband and wife team of Helga and Ann Steiner Ingstad. Did I say that right? I believe so. Uh, they uh, walked around in the 1960s. Um, and almost certainly found proof of Scandinavian settlement in Vinland, mm-hmm. um, or what we call Vinland, or they called Vinland. Uh, most recently in 2008, there was a dig that found uh, substantial detritus and even architectural remains from an early Viking settlement on Baffin Island. It's actually impossible to be positive, but it's more or less established. And I think we're going to be posting mm-hmm. um, some video links and maps and stuff like that on the website. You can check that out. Yeah, some good stuff. Definitely worth looking at. Um, so... Eric's saga tells a story of settlement and exploration in North America, uh, and apparently it's a more or less true story. So we'll hedge our bets and say that this saga was inspired by true events. It's good enough for Hollywood. It's good enough for us. Yeah. Uh, so it may have been based on a real voyage, but there are some issues with the saga as it comes down to us. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, as we go through the saga and if you sit down and read it yourself, you'll see. Uh, I don't want to take this thing word for word, but mm-hmm. we're going to assume that uh, Greenlanders did travel over to North America. They did try to establish settlements. Um, they likely tried to trade with uh, Native Americans. Uh, beyond that, I don't want to get much farther into accepting what this saga presents. <laughs> Fair enough. So let's go through this ourselves and we can come to our own conclusions either way. Excellent. Uh, our story begins with a brief biography of Owl the Deep-Minded. Uh, one of the settlement age figures who shows up in plenty of sagas. She's a matriarch of early Iceland. Mm-hmm. After the deaths of her husband and son, Aud moves to Iceland, where she stays for a while with her brother, Bjorn the Easterner. Now, everyone may remember Bjorn the Easterner from our last episode. He was the patriarch of the Kjallaklings um, in Erbigi Saga. Right. His sister Aud arrives already having been Christianized. And if you remember from Erbigi Saga, Bjorn, uh, he knows she's Christian and doesn't quite like it very much. Right. So she has to sort of establish her own separate holy place, which she does across right. hills. She brings with her a group of men who are then given land of their own. Among them is Vifil, uh, a freed slave who has two sons named Thorbjorn and Thorgir Vifilsson. Mm-hmm. And around the same time, Eric the Red and his father Thorvald Osvaldarsson are forced to leave Norway due to some killings. It's very, very vaguely stated. <laughs> they just had to leave because of some killings. We need to talk about that for a couple of reasons. One is our usual complaint about how vague the sagas can be when it comes to the number of killings. And John and I have already had our argument about how many killings mm-hmm. occur in this saga. The other thing that we need to think about is the sort of pattern we're going to continue to see from Eric. He's definitely a man with anger control issues. He certainly is. Now, some people might say he gets the name Eric the Red uh, because he's not very good at counting to ten and praying for world peace. It's, <laughs> it's also supposed that uh, he had red hair um, and his right, name is right. uh, Eric the, the Red or Eric right. the Ginger. Uh, although in this case, I think we can assume it's a happy coincidence uh, right. that he has red hair. Right. Uh, anyway, his father Thorvald dies shortly after their arrival in Iceland, and Eric marries Thjordhild, the daughter of Jorund Ulfsson and Thorbjörg Shipbreast. He sets up a farm. I'm sorry. Over- uh, did you just say Thorbjörg Shipbreast? Yes. <laughs> well, I think we can shut down the old best nickname category right now. <laughs> She's going to be the winner. Give the rest of the saga a chance, will you? Who doesn't um, love a broad-chested woman? Yes. Uh, Eric sets up a farm. Uh, Eric and his wife uh, set up a farm near Vatensjorn and he called Erikstad. But his slaves start a landslide on his neighbor's land. It's it's not clear whether this is deliberate or not, but since they're Eric's men, I'm going to say that it was totally intentional. Either way, 
His neighbor's kinsman, Eolf Saur, kills the slaves in retaliation. Eric reacts somewhat predictably, killing both Eolf and another man, Holmgangrofen, or Hraven the Dueler. So the pattern that we're seeing here is that Eric settles somewhere, meets his neighbors, and then kills them. Pretty much, yeah. I like this guy. He's refreshingly uncomplicated, isn't he? <laughs> uh, there's a case brought to the local thing, and Eric is banished from the area. He next settles Oxen Island, where, brace yourself, he names his home Erikstad and surprise. gets into a disagreement with a neighbor. Yeah, that's a little different, though. Now, Eric loans a set of bench boards to his neighbor Thorgest of uh, Bredebolstad. And then when he asks for those boards back, Thorgest doesn't send them. So Eric goes to Thorgest's home with a bunch of friends and seizes them. Mm-hmm. Now, when the men of Thorgest's household chase Eric's group to get him back, there's a big fight. Several men are killed, including two of Thorgest's sons. Right, so the pattern holds. Absolutely. Eric just puts everyone within a mile of him into the categories, people I'm going to kill and people I might decide to kill later. So in this case, there's at least a little bit of justification for his actions. He, he lent the boards, and Thorgist kept them. When you're dealing with someone like Eric, that's not so smart. You give the boards <laughs> back when he asks for them. Mm-hmm. Besides, Eric does pay the price again. He receives a sentence of minor outlawry despite some very powerful supporters that include our Erbigisaga friends, the Thorbrinsons, and Killer Stur. Well, the Viffelsons help him to escape, and Eric spends the next three years establishing a presence in Greenland by naming everything in sight after himself. Eric's Holmes, Eric's Island, Eric's Fjord, and so forth. Yeah, but John, if you were the first guy to land in all these places, uh, wouldn't you do the same thing? I suppose I might, but, yeah, you know, John's I mean, John's Fjord has a certain ring to it, I guess. I like Andrew's Fjord. Sounds good. There you go. There you go. Mm. Anyway, but Eric's not the sort of guy to give up on a feud, is he? He comes back. What do you mean? Well, after three years of exploring and looking around at Greenland, mm. he comes right back to Iceland and picks another fight uh, Another fight with, guess who? Thorgist. Oh, with Thorgist. Yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, it's not really covered in much detail, though. No, it's kind of disappointing. It does say there's another battle, and it says that Eric loses this one. Uh, he doesn't lose his life or any limbs, but uh, Thorgist is resistant to Eric's kill-everybody strategy. <laughs> Eric gives up this time and goes back to Greenland. So, John, why do you think Eric ends up going back to Greenland and not anywhere else? Well, I think he's kind of running out of places to live. I mean, he's, his migration is sort of this uh, westward pattern. Uh, as he's exiled from one place, he sort of heads out further west. And now in Greenland, he's kind of at the edge of what the Scandinavians thought of as being the uh, livable land. Right. So the, the real issue is he's not welcome anywhere else, right? Right. Well, again, he he's, not, he's not a popular neighbor. He's not a guy you want around. Yeah. Uh, but in the meantime, the Viffelsons have been busy raising their families – Thorbjorn Viffelsen has a daughter named Gudrid, who's growing up to be quite beautiful. But Thorbjorn's finding money a little tight. Uh, so after a nouveau riche trader proposes marriage to Gudrid in exchange for helping Thorbjorn out from it financially, Thorbjorn, who's highly offended by this, resolves to move his family to Greenland to be with Eric. He takes about 30 people with him on the journey, but the ship hits rough weather, and then an outbreak of disease kills half the people on board, including Gudrid's foster parents. They finally reach Greenland in terrible shape, and they disembark at Herjelsnes, where they stay with a man named Thorkel. Well, and things aren't going to be any better for them when they land, because Greenland, at the time, is suffering from a great famine. Yeah, Thorbjorn really doesn't have any luck at all. Uh, fortunately, though, there's a bit of entertainment at Thorkel's place. He invites Thorbjorg the prophetess to his farm to foretell the end of the famine and maybe do a little fortune-telling. Yeah, and she's a really interesting character. She's a, a bit of a diva. 
and everything has to be just so for her. In what way? Well, she has to be escorted to Thorkel's farm, where she's going to be seated on a high seat. That's just good hospitality. Well, the seat must have a nice cushion as well. Ah, uh, but isn't it said, a guest is a jewel resting on a cushion of hospitality? <laughs> where, where do you pull that out from? <laughs> uh, Rex Stout wrote that. You're a, you're a font, I don't know who that is either. You're a font of, of <laughs> odd proverbs and weird quotes. Um... Yes, there's a cushion. It is hospitality. But the cushion, in this case, has to be stuffed with nothing but hen's feathers. Diva. Yeah, that's what I said. Now, in fairness, it it was uh, an act of hospitality. But this is special hospitality. This is a woman that everyone is excited to have come. In fact, the saga gives a good description of her and her lovely clothes. When she arrived one evening, along with the man who had been sent to fetch her, she was wearing a black mantle with a strap, which was adorned with precious stones right down to the hem. About her neck, she wore a string of glass beads, and on her head a hood of black lambskin lined with white catskin. She bore a staff with a knob at the top, adorned with brass set with stones on top. About her waist, she had a linked charm belt with a large purse. In it, she kept the charms which she needed for her predictions. She wore calfskin boots lined with fur, with long, sturdy laces and large pewter knobs on the ends. On her hands, she wore gloves of catskin, white and lined with fur. She's clearly a Greenland celebrity. Yeah, and she acts like it. She arrives, settles herself on her hen feather pillow, and begins the show. Right. She presses Gudrid into service, helping her with her rituals, which makes Gudrid a little uncomfortable since she's a Christian. But she doesn't want to be rude, so she pitches in. And in return, she gets her fortune told. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's not just that she doesn't want to be rude. It's that she's a Christian and doesn't want to participate in a heathen practice. But she also says that she was taught um, these chants as a little girl by her right. foster mother. And so she gets involved and sings so beautifully that Thorbjorg is moved. And indeed, all the spirits that they were calling to help them out are, are deeply moved by Gudrid's uh, beautiful voice. And so this leads to a prophecy. The first thing she predicts is that the famine will end soon, Mm -hmm. which turns out to be true. She also gives uh, or rewards Gudrith with a a prophecy about her life and what's going to happen. And and the gist of it is basically that she's going to get married and that first marriage is going to be very, very short. And then she's going to marry again and have a lot of prosperity. And And return to Iceland, I believe. Yeah, she'll have a lot of prosperity and return to Iceland. Exactly. The next thing that happens is Thorbjorn takes Gudrid with him to Eric's settlement, and there they establish a homestead. But Gudrid is left with this prophecy hanging over her head about her uh, first husband uh, dying quickly. So the narrative brings us back to Eric's family. Eric the Red has two legitimate sons, Thorstein and Leif. Leif is a roamer, and he sails away over the seas. Does he go to Vinland, John? Uh, No, to the Hebrides, uh, where he has a bit of a summer fling with a woman named Thorguna. Ah, Another of our friends from the last episode, Thorguna of the Haunted Bedsheets. Yeah, that's her. Um, when Leif is getting ready to leave at the summer's end, Thorguna asks to go with him, but Leif refuses to take her without her family's permission. Of course, since he's already sort of taken her without her family's permission, mm-hmm. Thorguna informs him that she's carrying his child. Leif leaves her behind anyway, and next thing he heads to... It's Vinland. It's Vinland this time. No, to Norway, where he visits the court of Olaf Tryggvason. Okay, so timeline-wise, we know this has got to be around 995 to 1000, right around the mm-hmm. conversion of Iceland, right? Right, exactly. And Olaf's the guy who's pressuring everyone in Scandinavia to convert. Mm-hmm. Leif gets caught up in this when Olaf deputizes him to go convert Greenland. So Leif heads back out to sea again, but this time he's blown off course, and after sailing a while, he makes land in a new place he's never seen before. Is it Vinland this time? Yes. Oh, 
good. Of course, he doesn't really know where he is. It's about time to get there. No, he doesn't know where he is. Um, but it is a promising-looking place. He sees everywhere around him wild wheat growing. There's plentiful forests and various edible growths. Uh, to a lost Greenlander, uh, even to an Icelander, uh, this would be paradise. Right, but of course, Leif can't stay. He's on a mission from a king, and so he turns around and heads back to Greenland, where he converts a number of people, including his own mother. Yeah, not his father, though. Right. Maybe <laughs> right. Eric's just... not really Christian material, but it does make for a bit of marital strife. Yeah. Yeah, the saga reads, yeah. After her conversion, Thjaldhild refused to sleep with Eric, much to his displeasure. <laughs> <laughs> I notice he's not displeased enough to convert, however. Exactly. But still, it would be uh, displeasing. Sure. I guess uh, in that time, uh, he probably had other women with him that he could take advantage of. Yeah, perhaps. Which would explain the illegitimate sons that come up ah, later Ah, that does, ex- yeah, there does you explain go. it. Uh, so Leif is trying to convert Greenland, but all anyone wants to talk about is this new land that he's found. Uh, Leif's brother Thorstein leads an expedition, but a combination of bad weather and, frankly, incompetence means that they spend the autumn sailing around in the North Atlantic, at various times spotting Iceland and Ireland, before returning to Greenland for the winter, where the ever-compassionate Eric mocks their failure. Okay, now this is a time where we should address uh, one of the issues of this saga that we haven't really talked about. There's a problem of manuscripts. We have multiple manuscripts with different mm-hmm. versions of this saga with you know, kind of minor differences. But it's worth mentioning that the sources seem confused about whether Eric the Red is actually on this ship with his son or not during this journey. I know in Greenlander's saga, for example, he uh, does not go on the ship. Mm-hmm. In one of the Eric saga manuscripts, uh, Eric says something like, you seem to have been bent over by a troll, but in another version he says, <laughs> we have been bent over by a troll. Bent over by a troll? Well, it's just a loose translation. Basically, it's a what very Eric loose is... translation. <laughs> what he says, not... in essence, is that you seem unhappier than you were when you left. <laughs> well, he's, all, he's not just saying that you're uh, less happy. He's saying uh, we didn't really accomplish anything on that mission or you didn't accomplish anything. Because what happens is right. they just kind of get blown around the ocean for a while right. and then they come And home. by the way, it really is. It's an embarrassing trip. I mean, if you know the North Atlantic at all, to be heading from Greenland to North America and to end up in Iceland and Ireland, that's pretty bad. Right. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, uh, I mean, this whole saga can be second-guessed. I mean, since there's the Greenlander saga around, which is going to tell the same story with a lot of notable differences. Yeah. And Eric stays home in that one after a horse throws him, and he takes it as a bad omen. What the Greenlander saga doesn't have that the Eric saga does is Eric falling off his horse and saying, ow, ow, ow. Which is that I a translation? By- <laughs> that's what my translation says, ow, ow, yeah. ow. Um, and you don't see that in medieval literature too much. No. So I kind of like that it one. It lacks that stoic quality. <laughs> it certainly does. It, it feels very real. Mm. Uh, so what you would say, ow. Anyway, so the, the point of him being thrown off the horse is that he regards it as a bad omen. Um, in this saga, he's not given such, or he doesn't interpret it as a sign. He's just kind of snarky toward his son. And about the whole trip in general. Well, at least he stopped randomly killing people. Well, there's fewer uh, people around. So Thorstein Eriksson stays the winter with his father and makes good use of the delay by marrying Gudrid Thorbjorn's daughter. Yeah, this is the same Gudrid who was told by Asiris that her first marriage was not going to last very long. That's her. Uh, did no one tell Thorstein about this? Well, it's sort of an awkward thing to bring up at a wedding. Yeah, it's, but it's kind of important information. It would be. <laughs> anyway, this isn't going to be a very happy marriage, I guess. Well, it might be happy. It's just not going to be very long. Uh, an outbreak of disease hits Eric's farmstead that same winter, and several people die. And of course, I know you love a good undead story. Well, who doesn't? Well, I hope everyone does, because the dead at Eric's farm don't stay down. That's right. There's a dead woman named Sigrid, 
who tries to uh, get in bed with Thorstein Erikson. It's kind of a weird episode. In fact, what we're talking about here is a moment where Sigrid is still alive and she gets up to look outside and what she, she kind of reports what she sees. She says, I'm not going to go outside with things as they are. All of those who are dead are standing there before the door. And among them, I recognize Thorstein and myself as well. How horrible it is to see. So here you have the living Sigrid looking outside and seeing a dead version of herself and a mm-hmm. dead version of Thorstein Erikson. So it is a pretty terrifying thing. And long story short, Sigrid does die. Um, she tries to sleep with Thorstein Erikson. He ends up getting sick and he dies. Um, and in the night, Thorstein's corpse sits up and asks to speak to his wife, Gudrid. And when she comes to him, he whispers a few words to her that only she can hear. What are they? Well, it depends on what translation you're looking at. In one translation, it says only she can hear them. Wait, so the saga writer lost in translations us? Unbelievable. Yeah, in, in that version anyway. But yeah. there's other translations that suggest he spoke to her softly so that only she could hear, and this is what he said. Uh-huh. Basically, he gives instructions encouraging conversion of Greenland, and he encourages generous donations to the church. He asks to be buried in consecrated ground. He explains that other people need to be buried in consecrated ground, and he lies down again. So this disease is still around, and Gudrid's father also dies before the winter's over. So she's pretty much alone, but she now inherits a lot of money. Well, and she's not alone for long because a new crowd of men is coming to Greenland. Chief among them, Thorfinn Karlsefni. Karlsefni and some other men stay with Eric the following winter, and Karlsefni impresses Eric with his generosity. In other words, he lets Eric sponge off him for a while, doesn't he? Yeah, but he's got an ulterior motive. He wants to marry Gudrid. Mm -hmm. And with her husband and father both dead, Eric has a certain amount of influence there. Eric agrees to the match... And Gudrid is remarried. Not one for mourning long, is she? Well, she and Karlsefni are both active types. Uh, And in fact, they're soon talking about attempting another voyage to retrace Leif Erikson's trip to Vinland. They put together a band of the most promising men and women around, all told they gather about 160 people for the trip. Mm -hmm. That's debatable. Some of the translations say 140, others say 160. Right. Um, The crew, it includes uh, Eric the Red's illegitimate daughter, Freydis, her husband, Thorvard, and her brother, Thorvald Eriksson. Uh, It includes Eric's friend, Thorhall the Hunter. Uh, It includes an accomplished trader named Bjarni Grimmelsen, uh, and Snorri Thorbranson and his son, Thorbrand Snorrison. If you're really obsessive, you might remember Snorri Thorbranson from Erbege Saga. He's the one that got the arrow through his mouth after the Battle of Vigraford and couldn't eat at Snorri's table. That's rough. Anyway... On the second attempt, the explorers are successfully able to cross to what we now call North America, and they make landfall in several locations. Now, this section is pretty tricky. It's written with a great deal of detail in terms of Carl Zeffney's movements and the nature of the various places, but it's almost impossible to pin down where exactly he is at any given moment. I guess the problem is that we're not sure where his first landing spot is, and everything is built off of that information. Now, trying to recreate it, it basically seems like they're pinballing around the area of Baffin Island, and Newfoundland. Maybe they start up around Baffin Island, which they mm-hmm. call Heluland, and then they go down a little bit south to an island that they call Bjarni uh, because of all the wildlife they see there, and then on to uh, what is Markland and into what they think is Vinland or what is now Newfoundland. But it's hard mm-hmm. to be totally sure what exactly is going on there. Um, there are plenty of maps trying to recreate uh, what's going on, and we'll again post some of that stuff on our uh, blog. But they're having a good time exploring. Uh, the land's so beautiful, and they, and all they want to do is sightsee and hang out. Right, which means that when winter comes, they're not fully prepared. 
their livestock does well in the abundant grass, but there's not much to eat otherwise. And despite their prayers to God, they don't have much success hunting. Now, it's at this time that Thorhall the hunter, who's one of the few pagans on the journey, disappears for a couple of days, and the others find him standing on a promontory, scratching himself and mumbling. They ask him what he's doing, and he gets surly and refuses to tell them. Yeah, he actually uses the old, uh, I'm old enough to look after myself kind of uh, line. Right. and Well, and nobody really likes Thorhall, so they're willing to drop the subject. Yeah. Uh, soon after this episode, though, a dead whale washes up on shore. It's a whale of a kind none of them recognize, uh, not even Carl Stephanie, who we're told is an expert on whales. Uh, but they're hungry, so they cut it up and eat some of it. But almost immediately, they start feeling sick from the meat. Uh, Thorhall brags, then, that his prayer to Thor brought the whale, when everyone else's prayers to Christ did nothing. And the group decides they're being poisoned by this pagan whale gift and get rid of it. <laughs> uh, once they do that, the weather improves, and they're able to go out fishing. Exactly. But Thorhall and Carl Zephny, uh now know that they can't trust one another. So mm-hmm. Thorhall splits off from the main group and says he's going to head north or just leave them. Uh, he's got about nine others with him. And the main group under Carl Zephny is going to head south. But it turns out Thorhall's not much of a navigator. His ship is blown off course. He is blown all the way over to Ireland. And it says he is very quickly captured, beaten, and killed uh, among the Irish. So yeah. I guess Thorhall's people skills hadn't improved any by the time he got there. <laughs> no. Um, and while, meanwhile, not knowing what's happened to him, Carl Sefney's group heads south where they find a paradise, uh, an estuary with wild crops and fish teeming in the water. They live the high life for a couple of weeks until one day they spot a group of natives in skin boats approaching. Uh, Snorri Thorbranson suggests approaching them under a white shield of peace. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the, what I find interesting about the saga from this moment forward, it kind of becomes an interesting saga finally, is uh, the, the treatment of the of the natives. Uh, in this case, um, they're described as short in height with threatening features and tangled hair on their heads. Their eyes were large and their cheeks broad. And after a short visit, uh, the natives leave peacefully. Now, that doesn't worry anyone, seeing these natives kind of staring at them? No, apparently not. They don't leave the area. Uh, and the following spring, a much larger group of natives arrives and begins trading with Carl Stephanie's people. Right. They're trading, and one of the things that the, uh, the saga mentions is that the natives are particularly interested in two things. One is the red cloth that the Greenlanders have with them, and the other is their weapons. Carl Stephanie and Snorri say, don't give them any weapons, um, but go ahead and sell them all the cloth you want. So they get all these pelts and other goods. Right. Everything goes well until a bull belonging to the Icelanders gets loose and runs wild through the woods, terrifying and driving off the native group. So at this point, anyone would know enough to go find somewhere else to live, wouldn't they? Well, anyone else would, but Karlsefni's people are either braver or stupider than us, because once again they stay put. Uh, three weeks later, a horde of the natives returns, and this time they're ready for a fight. And this time the uh, Greenlanders don't grab their white shields, they grab their red shields. A nice indicator of <laughs> uh, intent there. And mm-hmm. it's really a hell of a fight. The natives have these weird catapult things. It's kind of a, a long mm-hmm. pole that they put a, a ball on the end of and then they kind of fling it. And it creates some kind of magical fear in the, uh, in the Greenlanders. But they've also got mm-hmm. their spears, bow and arrows, things like that. And the Icelanders are forced to flee. Now, Thorbrand Snorrison is killed in this battle. And Freydis, Eric's daughter, the illegitimate daughter of Eric, takes up a sword to fight the natives herself. 
Um, she ends yeah, up, and it's worth noting that she's pregnant at this point. Absolutely. Um, it, says, it says she moves a little bit more slowly because she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. So you've got this pregnant Scandinavian warrior woman squaring up against a group of natives. Uh, she scares them off like an Amazon, bearing one breast and slapping it with Thorbrand's sword. I can see why that would be terrifying. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Carl Stephanie's people retreat to their ships. And eventually decide they can't remain in this new land if the natives don't want them there. Showing rather more good sense than some later Europeans would show. Mm-hmm. Uh, before they leave, though, Karlsefni and Thorvald Eriksson take a ship to go looking for Thorhall the Hunter's group, which they still believe is somewhere nearby. Uh, they make landfall one day, and they see a uniped in a clearing. They call out to Did it. Did you say a uniped? What is, what's a uniped doing in this saga? It's very weird. I don't know. I'm not even sure that I, uh, I read it that way, but go ahead. For those of you not familiar with them, uh, unipeds are one-legged, giant-footed men, sometimes described in medieval European texts, mostly travel literature. Uh, They're described as living in far-off lands, but usually they're supposed to be way off in Africa or Asia somewhere. Yeah, maybe one of them got lost. I think it's more likely that our author had always wanted to stick a uniped in one of his stories and he saw his opportunity. Yeah, it's possible. I know that um, in other sagas, I mean, the, the word that they use to describe the uniped here is the, the einfater, that is the, mm-hmm. a one-footed being or one or just the one-footed. And if you look at other sagas, if you look for that word, you'll see that it's usually used to describe men who have lost a leg. So, for example, right. Onan Treefoot um, in Gretsch's saga is mm-hmm. called Einfater, um, as well as as Treefoot. So it could just be a one-legged native. Right, although in this case, because it's described as a one-footer and not a one-footed native, mm-hmm. uh, I think we are dealing with a uniped, which uh, is odd, but kind of pleases me. <laughs> yeah. And whatever it is, it's, it's more than just a random cameo. I mean, there's a reason why we're focusing on this. Because the uniped is armed. It fires an arrow... And kills Thorvald Eriksson before running away. Before it hops away, you mean. Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> pogoing along for all it's worth. Right. The rest of the party, at this point, gives up on the search and returns to the main group. Mm-hmm. Now, sometime later, nervous about a native attack and dealing with the internal unrest over a shortage of women, which is understandable, uh, mm-hmm. the men decide to head back to Greenland. They'd spent about three years in this strange new world and decided it was time to go home. But the trip home isn't entirely as smooth as they hoped for. Yeah, not entirely. Um, Karlsefni's ship makes it back without major incident, uh, but the larger ship, piloted by Bjarni Grimmelsen, is blown off course and begins to sink. There's only one large rowboat available, and even stuffed full, it can only carry half the hundred or so people on board. Bjarni has lots drawn for places on the rowboat, and Bjarni himself draws one of the lucky straws. Yeah, so he doesn't believe in that old captain-goes-down-with-the-ship thing, does he? No, uh, but it doesn't mean he won't end up that way. Because as the rowboat full of lucky winners is about to cast off, an Icelander left on the sinking ship guilt trips Bjarni into switching places with him. So in the end, Bjarni goes down with the ship and a bunch of other men, thus dying nobly while also massively improving the saga's body count. Right, except we might not be able to count them, right? Well, we'll figure that out when we get to that point. (laughs) Well, that's pretty much it. The saga includes a final short chapter telling us that Karlsefni and Gudrid eventually moved back to Iceland and raised their children there, um, kind of fulfilling the prophecy that she was given about her uh, her life. Mm-hmm. But that's where the story ends. Uh, but of course, that's not where we end, mm-hmm. because we now need to put Eric's saga through the ringer of our judgment section. And it deserves it. <laughs> Absolutely. As always, we'll evaluate the saga according to several criteria. Best bloodshed, body count, nicknames, notable witticisms, outlawry and thingmen in which we must each choose a figure from the saga to join our all-star team of supporters for the all-thing. And final ratings, uh, our assessment of the saga on a scale of 1 to 10. Okay, well, let's get started. Best Bloodshed. 
All right, so this is Best Bloodshed, and um, in this saga, John, whereas we had a lot of stuff to choose from in Air Saga, not quite so much to choose from here. Yeah, I kind of wish we had saved a couple of the bloodshed moments from Air Saga and just imported them into this one. Just so bring them over, to yeah. Cover. Yeah, so um, in this case, we'll, we'll move pretty quickly because uh, I have one, and I think you have one, right? I have, I have one nominee. Um, I have one nominee as well. Excellent. Um, uh, I'm going to nominate Thorvald Eriksson. Uh, Thorvald is Eric the Red's son. Uh, and he accompanies Carl Sefni on his uh, ill-fated voyage north to find out what happened to Thorhall the Hunter's group. Uh, he's with Carl Sefni when they run into the Uniped, or possibly a one-legged native. But definitely uh, Uniped. And, it, and it's he who is shot by the Uniped. He actually receives the, an arrow in... Receives. Uh, <laughs> he welcomes it with open arms. Hello! <laughs> I've got a nice shaved spot for you. Um, <laughs> I'm... <laughs> I'm going to nominate Thorvald Eriksson. All the way back uh, to Thor- the beginning? No, well, not if you keep saying things. Uh, I'm going to nominate Thorvald Eriksson. Uh, he's traveling with Carl Sefni on their trip north to find out what happened to Thorhall the Hunter's party when they run into the Uniped, uh, who we decided is a Uniped and probably not just a one-legged native. Most definitely. Uh, it's Thorvald who is shot in the groin by the Uniped's arrow. Uh, and I just think... I think this may be unique in the sagas. I don't think anyone else is ever killed by a uniped in the sagas. Definitely not. Or even exotic beasts of, of any kind. Right. Unless you're talking about legendary sagas or things like that. You're just right. not going to see weird creatures like that. So I think, it's worth, I think it's worth listing just for that. Absolutely. And uh, I'm going to throw in, uh, as you know, I love the undead. And uh, I'm mm-hmm. going to go to Sigrid. Um, Sigrid's death, or actually it's her second death. If you remember, right. Sigrid is the woman who uh, uh, is caught up in that whole bit, uh, famine and plague business. And um, she sees herself dying and does die. And one day, Thorstein Erikson is trying to lay down in bed. And this zombie woman or this undead woman keeps trying to climb into bed with him. So he sends word <laughs> to uh, Sigrid's husband, who's Thorstein the farmer, and says, uh, come on up here and control your wife. So <laughs> Thorstein rushes up. Uh, when he enters, she had reached the sideboards of the bed. So she's like slowly creeping oh to the my bed. God. It says he took hold of her and drove an axe into her breast, um, thus ending the threat of uh, becoming a cuckold uh, right. to Thorstein right. Erikson. Uh, I think it's a great, it's a great moment uh, to see this uh, undead woman taking an mm. axe to the breast. But I think your, uh, your uh, uniped shooting the arrow uh, is a little bit better. You think just just for the uniqueness of that death? Yeah, we see other undead characters taking uh, arrows and axes and such in the sagas, but we never see a unit head shooting people. Right. So, a good winner for Best Bloodshed. A a one-of-a-kind for Thorvald. Body Body count. Okay, a body count. Once again, we've had to sort out some inconsistencies Uh, This time, not just between our two individual counts, but of course also between the two different versions of this saga. Yeah, it turned out to be a little problematic when we discovered we were reading different translations or different uh, translations from different manuscripts. Right. Uh, And so what we ended up with was an initial count that varied by some 50-odd people. Right. Uh, And what we've established, uh, while in some cases in this saga we actually get uh, specific numbers of the dead... We had one instance, uh, the uh, the sinking of Bjarni's ship late in the saga. 
I think it's worth just having a quick look at that moment. If you'd say so. Bjarni Grimmelfin's ship was blown to the Greenland Sea. They found themselves in waters infested with maggots. And before they knew it, the ship was riddled under them and had begun to sink. Now, putting aside this waters infested with maggots, and we're dealing with here is shipworm. Mm-hmm. And the ship is rapidly sinking. They have one ship's boat, which has been treated with tar made from seal blubber that is supposed to be impregnable to these maggots. And so they all want to get off the ship, but only about half of them can fit in the boat. Now, in my reading of the text, I'd assumed that since we're told just under half the men of the ship drown with the ship, we were looking at a number around 50 men, Mm -hmm. uh, possibly somewhere around 49 men uh, drown with this ship. Or perhaps 47. Or Perhaps 47, because Andy insists on being arbitrary about these numbers. Could be 48. But as Andy pointed out, and I think correctly, um, the 100 men who are said to be with Bjarni, we aren't guaranteed that all 100 of them are on the ship with him. Those 100 men are with him on land, but in their ships, we aren't sure if they've divided up the men the same way that they were divided up on land. Right. So unfortunately, we had to uh, not count those men. Which is terrible, because... We're pretty sure we know within one or two how many there are. Right. So we'll give um, you uh, a range here. Now, as far as definite deaths in the mm-hmm. saga, we count 39. So our body 39. count officially is 39. But if you want to add in... Right. Now, that's 30 men from Iceland and Greenland and then nine Skraelings who are reported to have been killed. That's right. Now, if you want to count and you're a stickler and you really want those dead bodies from the, from the boat, then it bumps our number up uh, significantly. Probably to 88. Around 88, exactly. So, 39 definite and 88 probable. Nicknames. All right, and here we are in our nicknames category. Um, I'm going to start off with a simple one. Uh, He's not a very important character. Again, we have a bunch of those. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, this this is actually, when you start looking at this saga, for a short saga, we've got a lot of good nicknames. But they're, mo- they're mostly people who aren't terribly important to the saga. It's yeah. sort of the same problem we have with Ravenkill saga. Exactly. So let's start off. I'll, I'll give you a, a quick one. Earl Thorfinn Skullsplitter, who is uh, in an yeah, arranged marriage from out, out of the Deep Mind, sets up uh, a, a marriage for someone in mm-hmm. the beginning of the saga. She marries someone off to a guy named Earl Thorfinn Skullsplitter. Great name. Perhaps you've enjoyed his ale. If you've never had a Skullsplitter ale, you really should try one. Yeah. I, of course, have to mention Eric the Red, Good. whose nickname means one of two things, right? We've already said either his red hair or his sort of bloody hands. I like or, to think that it means both, yeah. and it's merely a happy coincidence that sort of either one applies. I have to throw in uh, Thorbjord Shipbreast. Of course you do. <laughs> uh, I wish that she was a bigger part of the saga. If only, <laughs> if only her presence... <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing I can say that is going to be dirty, so we'll no. just move on. If only her presence in the saga were as large as her uh, ships. <laughs> <laughs> She's got huge tracks of land. Uh, yeah, no, her nickname is Kanarabringu, which there is no other way to translate that except the ship breast. Uh, do you think she has <laughs> <laughs> Oh, let's not do that. No, we're not uh, doing that. Just... My next nominee is Eolf Saur. Um Eolf is uh, – his name literally means uh, filth or the beshitten. Uh, so you can also find the, him uh, translated as the foul. The foul, yeah. So in this so case, uh, a where a name like this might 
uh, we might be tempted to think of it as referring to his character. In this case, it may actually refer to his sort of physical presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Aelf is just a dirty man who doesn't wash. He's like Pigpen walking around with uh, flies and, and filth all over him. <laughs> right, if you could picture the sort of small cloud following him around. Yeah, it's no wonder that uh, Eric killed him. <laughs> so, uh, in that same uh, episode, you see Hraven the dueler or Hraven Holmgangu. Um, Speaking of people that Eric has killed? Yeah, there's uh, two people that Eric killed, Filth Aelf or Beshitten Aelf and Hraven the dueler. Um, those are both good nicknames. I'm going to throw in uh, Leaf the Lucky. Um, and it's worth pausing over because mm-hmm. uh, he's really the, the big character as far as, like, name recognition in this saga. Um, so I want to give you a sense of why he's called Leaf the Lucky. So uh, Leaf gets his nickname because uh, when he sets out on his journey from uh, Olaf Tryggvason's place to go and convert Greenland, he gets tossed about at sea for a really long time. And he chances upon uh, what becomes known as Vinland. He sees all those self-sown wheat fields, the vines growing there, and all the trees, uh, all the cool things that he finds. And then on his way home, he also stumbles upon a shipwreck uh, where he finds a bunch of people and he helps them get their way home. And he shows his strong character and kindness. And because of that journey, he's given the nickname Leaf the Lucky. Mm-hmm. And now you know. <laughs> um. But it's a great name. I mean, you know, in a culture that prizes luck the way this one does, to yeah, have a nickname like The Lucky, uh, that's a great nickname to have. It says a lot about you. It speaks well of your success in general that people think this is an appropriate name for you. Absolutely. And it almost maybe in Christian terms it would be like being called Leaf the Blessed. Right. Exactly. Exactly right. I'm going to give us another minor character, Thord Horsehead. It's a great name. But more importantly, his son, Thorfinn Thorthorson who we've been calling Carl Sefni, which is actually a nickname. Carl Sefni means the makings of a man, uh, or according to Cleesby Vigvison, a man of sterling quality. Yeah. It's too uh, bad the saga doesn't tell us more about him. So that we I know, say, because... Yeah, that nickname's really fitting. Now, we don't know a whole lot about him, so it's just a well, cool well, nickname. We, yeah, so loosely translated, uh, it means sort of manly man, right? A, a man of high quality, or if you speak internet, Chuck Norris. <laughs> what? All right, I'm going to throw in uh, uh, a real tough guy, uh, Thor Hall the Huntsman. He is mm. known as a, uh, a silent man who's not generally given to conversation. He's devious and insulting in his speech. He's generally a troublemaker and a heathen. He's called the Huntsman. Because you know mm-hmm. why? You know why he's called the Huntsman, John? Um, he's a huntsman. Yeah, he likes to hunt. He's good at go. it. <laughs> so that that is the uh, the it's collection. Those close of- reading skills coming into play. <laughs> Uh, that's our collection of nicknames for, for uh, this time around. Um, I don't think there's really any contest here. Yeah, it's definitely... I'll give you the pleasure of announcing the winner. Uh, we want to uh, bring to the stage um, and put our arms around Thorbjord <laughs> Shipbreast. <laughs> right. The two of us together trying desperately, collectively to get our arms around. Congratulations, yeah. Thorbjord. Yeah, yet another award to put on your shelf. <laughs> Oh, dear God. Notable Notable Witticisms. witticisms. All right, and for Notable Witticisms, my first nominee is going to have to be uh, Carl Sefni, uh, who, when we first meet him, spends a winter with Eric the Red in Greenland. After having spent some time there, uh, Christmas is drawing near, and Eric is sort of seen moping around the homestead. uh, And Carl Sefni speaks to him and says, Is something wrong with you? And Eric's response is, You have accepted my hospitality with courtesy and good grace. It does not occur to me to think that our dealings with one another will bring you any discredit. 
Rather, it is this. I should not like it to be said that you have had to endure such a meager Christmas as the one that is now approaching. Now, Carl Stephanie, who, of course, understands the subtext in what Eric is saying, responds with, There's no question of that, Eric. We have malt and flour and grain in our cargoes, and you are welcome to have as much of them as you wish, and prepare as rich a feast as your generosity demands. <laughs> and I love that. This is just, this is sort of fantastic uh, saga understatement. Mm-hmm. Carl Stephanie, understanding what's being asked of him, he's essentially being asked to give Eric uh, his food stores, and doing so, and underscoring, of course, that it's Eric's generosity uh, that needs to be on display here. And so Carl Stephanie's going to bankroll Eric's generosity. Right. Uh, and, of course, that line does come with a price because Eric is able to swan about and give a high Christmas for all of his followers. Right. It's and said shortly to be after the, uh, that. It's said to be the, the greatest uh, Yuletide feast anyone can remember. Right. For he doesn't stint with Carl Stephanie's goods. Right. He takes it all. Right. And, of course, Carl Stephanie then, as the unspoken price for this, uh, then asks for the hand of Gudrid, who is now living in Eric's household. And, of course, right. Eric has little choice but to agree. Yeah. One of the interesting things in this saga, in this episode, maybe highlights that uh, in, a, in a subtle way, is just how bad life in Greenland really was. <laughs> <laughs> Like nobody has any food yeah. or, yeah. or any Famine joy. Famine is really pretty there. regularly a feature. Yeah, I mean, part of the reason they're exploring uh, Vinland is because there's just nothing good going on in Greenland. Mm-hmm. Well, know? remember when uh, when Leif returns, uh, all he wants to talk about is Christianity, and all anybody else wants to talk about is a land of plenty that he's just come from. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Forget about this Christianity thing. Right. Where there's food. Wait, we heard you had food? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tell us about yeah. the place where there's food. So speaking of uh, of Vinland, I'm going to um, throw in for my notable witticism uh, something that Thorhall the Huntsman or Thorhall the Hunter says. Basically, when they're eating their, their whale meat, they've mm. boiled all the whale meat and, and they're <laughs> feasting and suddenly they're a little bit sick. Thorhall boasts, not knowing that everyone's getting sick, and he says, Didn't old Redbeard prove to be more help than your Christ? This was payment for the poem I composed about Thor, my guardian who seldom disappointed me. Mm. And, of course, Old Redbeard is uh, Thor, and this pagan religion doesn't provide good things for Christians. Right, which, as you pointed out before we started recording, is kind of a theme of this saga. Yeah. Uh, the the casting off of pagan ritual and pagan behaviors. It um, seems to be all the saga is really about. It is, of course, about exploring the new world, but it's really much more, or maybe it's about two things. It's kind of two sagas smushed together. Mm-hmm. You have one saga that is about the conversion of Greenland and a kind of anti-pagan narrative, and then the other saga that is the latter half of it is really more about a travel narrative where they're mm-hmm. exploring kind of the, the wonders of, of some distant land. Um, right. They don't balance together very well, actually. Well, but actually, speaking of that travel narrative part... Uh, my other nominee for best witticism, we've got to go back to Thorvald Eriksson, who we last left dying with a Unipet's arrow in his groin. But Thorvald doesn't die without getting a last line in. He pulls that arrow out of his uh, lower abdomen and says, this is a rich country we have found. There's plenty of fat around my entrails. And then he dies of his wound shortly thereafter. That's <laughs> the fat around his entrails. <laughs> um, well, you know, and the translation that I've got because I was working from a different manuscript is is equally funny. It says uh, Thorvald drew the arrow out and spoke. Fat paunch that was. 
We've found a land of fine resources, though we'll hardly enjoy much of them. So you have that image of him looking down at his fat stomach mm-hmm. and saying, we did pretty well here. Right. right. Uh, everything was going so well until I was shot by an arrow. Yeah. And again, it underscores that, that issue of uh, how bad things are in Greenland and the, mm-hmm. the, the, the paucity of resources that they've got. And they're looking for a place where they can uh, get fat, like uh-huh. apparently uh, Thorvald has. Um, and that, that leads me to my final uh, entry for uh, notable witticisms. And again, I'm going to Thorhall, and it captures nicely the kind of disappointment that Thorhall feels when he's wandering around hungry in Greenland. He composes a poem as he's getting uh, ready to sail away. He, he writes, With promises of fine drinks, the war trees wheedled, spurring me to journey to these scanty shores. War oak of the helmet god, I now wield but a bucket. No sweet wine do I sup stooping at the spring. So there's all these promises of Vinland, Wineland, mm-hmm. right? You're going to be uh, – there's enough food for your animals, enough food for everybody. And uh, here I am stooping at a spring and all I've got is a bucket and we just got sick on dirty whale meat. Well, and of course, this speaks to what you were saying about the uh, the pagan versus Christian elements of the story that the uh, the promised land, this land of uh, plenty that they find, they don't find until the pagan group among them have kind of yeah. gone off their own way and left them. Exactly. It's kind of weird. You know, I, when you think about all the sagas, you don't run into many sagas where so many of the characters are Christian True. from almost the very beginning. True. Uh, really, the, the, the pagans or the, the what we would consider the normal characters in the sagas, mm-hmm. um, they're the odd men out in this one because everyone seems to be Christian and it's very, very much... Uh, um, if you don't do things uh, Christ's way, you're mm-hmm. uh, not doing it the right way. Um, that's not typical of the sagas. No. Um, so what are we going to choose for our notable witticism? Oh, I don't think we can pass up Thorvald's fat paunch. I mean, <laughs> again, they, Thorvald they, is sweeping the awards. He is. He's he's brilliant. I mean. But it's a great line. Yeah, it's good. So we'll give it to uh, Thorvald for his witty death comment. For, for the fat around his entrails. Outlawry. All right, so now we move into our category, Outlawry, where we don't have a ton of characters to choose from simply because not a whole, there's not a whole lot of bad stuff that happens in the saga outside mm-hmm. of uh, you know, getting hungry, uh, getting sick, or getting attacked by natives. Now, I don't think we're going to be outlawing any natives for doing what they do. Well, of course, there is one notable exception to the nothing bad happens. Yeah, there is one guy that kind yeah. of runs around and does outlawy type things, and he even earns himself uh, uh, a couple outlawries. Yes. <laughs> so may- maybe our- the best candidate here is uh, our own title character, Eric the Red. Right. Now, we've never outlawed the title character of a saga. No. Uh, and I can't imagine it's going to happen very often. Right. Uh, I, I mean, think there's a I- real case to be made for him, and we know he's, uh, he's outlawed from Norway. Mm-hmm. Which is why or he ends up killings. in Iceland in the first place. Right, over some killings. We don't know how many. Right. Um, he's then outlawed from Iceland over killings. Mm-hmm. He returns from that. He has another brawl in Iceland. And after that's over, he has to leave again. And he ends up in Greenland. And yeah. essentially at that point, there's no one to outlaw him anymore, which is the only reason why he doesn't end up being thrown out of Greenland, I imagine. Yeah, and as the founder of the the, the settlement, he's kind of the, the big boss there anyways. Right. right? So who, who's going to say uh, when you come and settle and take land, you know, he, he divvies out the land. Right. Who, who's going to say uh, uh, Eric's a bad guy. We need to outlaw him from the land right. he gave me. But we have to remember that the only reason he's there establishing the settlement in Greenland is that no one wanted him anywhere else. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so maybe that's where he belongs. Well, 
Uh, I mean, we can also mention Thorhall the Hunter, mm-hmm. um, who is clearly an outcast in the saga. Uh, as you he said, is. he's kind of, you know, because he's part of this pagan past, he's kind of on the outside looking in in the group. Exactly. Uh, he's but, generally I mean, regarded his... as being an unpleasant figure. No one likes him very much. I think I, I gave his uh, his brief description earlier, but I'll say it again. He's described as a silent man, not generally given to conversation, devious and yet insulting in his speech, a real troublemaker. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, his his only crime is that, at least in this saga, as far as we know, is he's kind of grumpy, a little bit insulting, causes some trouble, and he's a heathen or well, a pagan. Well, he nearly poisons the entire company by – Praying for rancid whale meat. <laughs> well, I don't know that he was praying uh. for rancid whale meat. It just happened to be rancid whale meat. Right. He right. was certainly proud when his, his prayer was answered. That's true. Just, he actually was pretty know, pleased about it. Exactly. So he, he intended good things, it seems. There you go. But it's, uh, uh, again, the author doesn't like the pagans mm. and so makes it rancid whale meat. Um, and a uh, third option, we have Eolf Saar. Uh, Eolf the Beshitten or Eolf Filth. <laughs> Why uh, would we outlaw him? Because he stinks? Well, because... <laughs> His name doesn't suggest somebody you'd want in the neighborhood. <laughs> That's true. So we just bring him to court and outlaw him because uh, he's right. dirty. That doesn't right. seem fair, John. He's chronically unwashed and therefore unacceptable. Um, <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think unbelievably, and this is going to make the Thingman section really difficult, but yeah. I think we have to outlaw Eric the Red. <laughs> I think so too. Uh, I know when we when we started you know, talking about this podcast, we were thinking, well, Thingman, the Thingman section is going to be weird because a lot of times we're just going to be taking the title character Um, but this is a great instance very early on that we're going to indeed outlaw the uh, title character yeah sorry eric bye eric uh, i don't know where you're going this time but you gotta leave (laughs) thing man so we flipped a coin before uh we began recording and um andy won but chose to defer uh, because he doesn't want to have to pick out of the slim pickings in this saga. And frankly, slim. especially with Eric gone, I don't blame you. No. Aside from name recognition, what would you really be gaining from well, these right. goofy Greenlanders? I mean, you've got Leif Erikson, obviously. Right? Leif mm-hmm. the Lucky. I mean, he's, he's you know probably one of the six or seven most famous figures in the sagas. Uh, and certainly in America, everyone – I shouldn't say everyone. We're not right? that bright. Generally speaking, uh, but uh, as, you, as you noted on our uh, Twitter page, uh, he has his own day, right? Leaf Erickson Day, but and, and honestly, he's, the he's discoverer of America. But what does he do in the saga? Exactly. I mean, in in this saga, he is um, he's blown off course, and therefore gets a brief sort of glimpse of Vinland, but doesn't stick around. He's too busy mm-hmm. trying to fulfill his obligations to Olaf Tryggvason. He never right. returns. He's not part of the group that comes back. That his part in the saga is really a fairly small one. I mean, the only other thing we can say for him is that he does sleep with and impregnate Thorguna, uh, who's a pretty terrifying woman. So that's, I guess, that's a fairly impressive feat. Yeah, well done. Uh, yeah, you know, he, he lends name recognition to your group if you choose him. Right. Uh, so that's uh, nice. The, the other thing that's interesting about Leif is he kind of represents the, the New Age Viking for, mm. for this author. It's to say that Vikings, you know, if you think about what a Viking used to be, it was a guy that went around killing and taking what he wants and then going home and selling it or that kind of thing. Leif does the journey, does the travel, does the exploration that is appropriate to a Viking, um, but he does so in a very peaceful manner. Right. Um, And maybe that's part of the reason that we don't see him getting involved in a lot of conflict because we need to keep his hands clean. 
Well, and he actually, the company that he puts together, you know, the company that he keeps in Greenland, the ones who eventually return to the new land, new world without him, they're mostly mm-hmm. traders. They're mostly farmers. Uh, we're not yeah. told that there are great Vikings among them. No, definitely not. And again, I think it's a it's an author that's looking forward to mm-hmm. a new way of doing business. Um, it's uh, clearly someone who rejects the old ways, and there's really not a lot of emphasis on uh, pre-Christian Iceland in this saga at all. Right, which brings us to I think probably the only other legitimate choice uh, we have before us: Carl uh, Sefni, uh, Thorfinn right. Carl Sefni, uh, who we're told is a manly man, very manly, but who again is not a Viking. Uh, he's a trader. He's a uh, an import-export merchant. Um, <laughs> That's nice. That's what he is. He's a ship's captain. Uh, but apparently not even that is successful because in, in this saga, <laughs> the, the journey – I mean if you look at Greenlander, they do have some successes. But uh, in this one, it's not a successful trip. No, not really. Um, a lot I of mean, people they, die. They, spend they don't come back there. with a lot of money. Uh, but aside from the fact that his son is born there, nothing else of positive note really occurs. Yeah, so it's hard to it's hard to choose from these guys, isn't right? It? And I think I'm trying to think if there's anyone else that I would want uh, to be supporting me, and I really don't think there is. Uh, so my choice is between the name recognition of Leif Erikson or the sort of manliest, best protagonist of the saga, Carl Sefni, who isn't really talked about at all, right? And you know what? Uh, I'm still trying to make up for having probably the most obscure figure. In either one of our teams with Thorkel Streak, uh, so I'm going to have to go with er- Leif Erikson. I want the I want a little bit of name recognition. I want the man who gets credited for discovering the new world, whether or not he actually does anything there. Right. Well, I mean that makes sense, and I knew that that would happen. I was willing <laughs> to give up old Leif the Lucky. Um, now I have to make my decision, and I have a, I have to start with a question, and yes. I, I I didn't ask you beforehand. Uh-huh. When we started this whole thing and talked about what Thingmen would count and would not count, I believe we said something like, if a character is mentioned and plays a significant role in the saga, you can choose him as your Thingman. Is that right? Yes. Something like that, anyway. Um, significant so that role. Yes. Sig- yeah, roughly, vaguely significant, plays a role in the now. In the saga. Now it's vaguely That's, significant. Well, okay. plays a role in the saga. Just where are you heading with this? Part of the this? action. <laughs> well, you know, I'm looking at the characters, and I, you know, I didn't really care to have Leaf and Thorfinn doesn't blow me away, but I do remember he's a manly man. Back, he's manly, but not manly enough for me. I'm looking for someone who's a little bit more reliable, and I'm looking for someone who maybe has a bigger name. A little bit more power and clout in Iceland. You've got an uh, agreement. In this saga? In this saga, mm. yeah. So I go back to the beginning of the saga uh-huh. where we have Eric getting into all of his troubles. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, in one of the occasions, uh, the Thorgest feuds, uh, Eric gets the help of one Killer Stur, who we remember from Erbiki saga. Uh-huh. And Stur is exactly the kind of guy I want on my side. Um. He's wealthy. He is politically powerful. He is uh, uh, extremely pow- uh, strong and a good fighter. He's. Uh, would you argue that he has a significant role in this saga? In this instance, I would, yes. Is this a desperation move on your part? Yes, it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, but I would note he is. he does have a significant, <clears throat> a significant role. He plays a role in the action of this saga. He's part of Eric's uh-huh. story. I don't see why we shouldn't choose him. Um, I'm going to say this. If you can live with your conscience, 
You go ahead and you choose him. Uh, well, you know what? In the posterity, when we're just looking at the list, everyone's just going to see Killer Stewart there and not remember this episode. So uh, I'm going to choose Killer Stewart as wow. my opinion. And count it as a victory for myself. Wow. That is appalling. That is just appalling. What do you think of those machinations, John? Uh, what do I think of that? I think it's very Snorri-esque. I probably should have left him for you to choose. I learned from the master. <laughs> final rating. Um, so final ratings for this saga. I have to say, I came into this episode pretty sure I was not going to be going overboard on Eric's saga. Uh, now that we're ready to give our ratings, I can say for sure I was right. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's never been a particular favorite of mine. Uh, the Vinland stuff is really interesting. Uh, I mean, sure. But the saga is actually pretty thin on details about the place. To the extent that even people in the saga weren't sure where to find it when they went back looking for it. The story lacks a lot of the things that I want in a saga. There isn't really a central feud. The character studies are pretty rudimentary. And I'm not sure I know anything more about Eric or Leif or Thorfinn at the end of this saga. Except that Eric's got a mean temper. Leif was lucky. And Thorfinn Karlsefni led a bunch of men overseas and back. Right. Um, you don't even get really good stories to associate with those identifications, right. right? I mean, there are some fun things in the stories, but in the end, it's it's significant that you, for example, had to go outside the action to find a thing man. It's just not my kind of saga. Uh, I'm going to give it a three, and I'll tack on a half point for the uniped, because I've, <laughs> I'm happy to have a uniped in the sagas. So I'll give it a 3.5. That's good. Yeah, it's, it's, that seems a little bit harsh. If only because this is one of our uh, our only sagas where we travel to the New World. Sure. And uh, there's a kind of a curiosity to this saga that uh, other ones may lack because mm-hmm. you, you see the same basic feuding and, and story o- uh, over and over and over again. Um, so for that, I'm not going to go as low as three. Um, but like you, I don't think this is a very entertaining saga. It's so thin. All the characters are so thinly drawn. Um, there's really not much that happens in this episode. But we do have some pretty cool exchanges with the Native Americans. True. Uh, we've got the Uniped. I'm going to go ahead and give it a four uh, because I think it's it's interesting. So I'm only going a half point above you. All right, so it's a 3.5 for me and a four for Andy. And that gives us a total of 7.5 for this saga, which is our lowest total yet. I'm sure we can get lower if we want. If we really oh, I feel it. confident that we will at some point. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we're only three sagas in. We've got a long ways to go. But uh, up next, we have a really good one. We're going to be doing Gisli's Saga. Ah, one of your favorites, I know, and one of mine as well. It's a good outlaw saga. We get a little backstory on Snorri the Gothi's family, so mm-hmm. it's always nice for that kind of My thing. My Thingman um, follower and friend, Snorri the Gothi. And I will be choosing first for Thingman in that, mm-hmm. having deferred this time around. Certainly part of the strategy. Uh, but until we meet for our next episode, go ahead and check us out on uh, our website, sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com. Follow us on Twitter at sagathingpod. And like us on our Facebook page, Saga Thing Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, uh, if you download us at uh, iTunes, make sure you subscribe and leave a comment. And we will see you next time. Bye for now. I'm going to I'm going to get you a little doll and you can point to where you think the groin is. <laughs>